Hello, and welcome to another episode of In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. I'll be joined momentarily by my co-host, Randall Jacobs. In the Dirt is sponsored by generous contributions from listeners like you. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride to support all our efforts. That includes this podcast and also the Ridership Forum. If you're interested in joining our community, simply visit www.theridership.com. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. In the Dirt is a discussion between Randall and myself about various parts of the gravel cycling experience. Separately, you'll find in this feed interviews with athletes, product designers, and event organizers, all done in the hopes of informing you, the listener, as to the various elements of the sport, the equipment, the routes, the regions that we love so much. If that sounds like your cup of tea, I'd love you to take a pause and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app now. And with that, let's dive right into the show. Randall, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure. Good to see How you, are you doing, friend. Greg? I'm doing good. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise. What's going on on your end? Just busy upgrading all my technology. I've got a new computer, a new phone, so hopefully that's going to lead to some exciting new opportunities for content creation for me. Excellent. Yeah, I, I can resonate with that. Less with the technology and more with the opportunities for content creation. So you're just coming off your first solo interview episode for the Gravel Ride podcast. How did that feel? Uh, it felt great to, to finally have done it. It's a concept that I've been sitting on for quite some time. And it's the sort of conversation that I, you know, as, as you know, from our conversations out on the bike and otherwise, it's the style of conversation that I have in my day-to-day -day life. And so it was really enjoyable to be able to take that, that style of kind of probing more personal and more even philosophical type conversation and bring it to a format like this. So really hope that the, uh, that the audience enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun. We had, we had, had so it was great, it was great to hear more, more about his story. story. I just, I just kind of knew him as a fast, as a fast guy who built, who built that, that team and raced, and raced in the San Francisco Grand Prix. To get the, the backstory back story and to understand where he went professionally and his motivations and how he's helping athletes discover the best parts of themselves, I think it was really interesting to hear. Well, and what I love too is in the context of that conversation, having his own kind of personal journey and experiences coming out. And just because somebody is a former professional athlete and a former team owner and a sports psychologist doesn't mean that they don't have their own personal struggles. And in fact, it is those struggles that make, you know, that presumably make them useful to others because there's that deep empathy and understanding. So it was really nice to have a, a conversation that is that kind of vulnerable and open about those types of topics. Yeah, for sure. There's that, there's some universality of what he was talking about that definitely resonated with me as a 50 year old yeah. recreational athlete. So that was cool to see. Yeah. I'm curious, what were some of the things that really like struck a chord with you in your experience? Well, I think, you know, going back to what you just said about how the things he sort of struggled with as a professional cyclist are the same things you struggle with as an amateur cyclist in terms of what hole is it fulfilling in your life cycling mm -hmm. and what's motivating you to get out there. Of particular interest to me in that conversation was the relationship bringing Chris Horner 
onto his mm. pro cycling team had to the equation and how Chris's approach as a leader really changed that team and brought everybody up because he was so supportive about the collective purpose versus individual purpose. It just was really cool for me. I just, I guess it made me think about lifting up others on a group ride or just others in our community and how being mm. a certain type of leader can be way more inspirational than, you know, someone who's a command and control type leader. Well, and, and the idea of what is the ultimate goal and, and maybe there's a, there's a goal of wanting to win a particular event, having a good season and what have you. But if it doesn't, if the experience of having done it isn't great and generative and feels, you know, feels in integrity and feels, you know, part of a, the sort of life that, that is enjoyable on its own, not simply because of that, you know, that achievement, then, you know, I have to question like, what is the point? Or at least question why, why these more interpersonal types of goals and needs are not being prioritized along with the goal of the, the race win. I think it's really interesting. And you and I have talked about this on bike rides. It's just when that mentality arrives as a cyclist, like there's certain drivers as you get into the sport as a young man or a young woman that certainly change and develop over time. And mm. I'm curious if accelerating the discovery of those other motivations really leads to exceptional athleticism versus discovering them later in life. Yeah, it's hard to say. I can definitely say that I was, to the extent that I achieved anything, there was definitely some ego drive. But the things that I achieved weren't, didn't achieve is like a balanced life. What I achieved was, you know, some, some mediocre results in some races. I so, think that's, it's always been a particularly hard thing as a cyclist because you get into the sport and you see the dedication of athletes in other disciplines, namely road riding. And yeah. how much deprivation in their diet and, and a lot of other commitments they have to make, quote unquote, have to make in order to be professional. And I think a lot of them have been dispelled. In fact, I think a lot of the modern science around youth athletics and bringing cyclists, young cyclists into the sport is saying, don't do any of that. Like we really have to think about you holistically, keep you happy and motivated. And maybe as you get to that, ultimate extreme elite level there has to be some of more of these draconian approaches to fitness and power to weight ratio but they have no place in a young athlete's life in my opinion i i, I am with you on that and yeah you know, I, I often question the like our culture you know american culture has a very strong focus on professional athletics and in fact, we elevate these people. They're, you know, they're celebrities. They're very well compensated. You know, huge numbers of people go to big stadiums to watch people play a game, as opposed to maybe meeting up with some friends and playing a game yourselves, which is one of the things I love about the bicycle, by the way, is that it is the sort of activity that you can, it's very participatory as opposed to say American football, where it's, it seems to be more about tribal identity than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So interesting. I mean, if for the listener, if you haven't already listened to that podcast, it should be one episode back in your podcast feed. So definitely give it a listen. If you have any feedback, Ted is actually in the ridership forum. Obviously, Randall and I are there. So we'd love to hear from you 
about new areas that you'd like maybe Randall in particular to explore in addition yeah. to feedback from me. Yeah, and any guests that you think would be appropriate for this sort of exploration as well, that sort of input would be much appreciated. Yeah, for sure. So on on my side, and I set the alarm at 5 a.m. this morning for my Dawn Patrol ride, and the way yeah. the, the the way the dawn is creeping earlier and earlier this time of year, a few disruptions in my sleep. I just could not raise to the call this morning, and I'm a bit saddened by that. You've been uh, you've done quite a few of those this year, yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty regular since I've been back in Marin, and I have to say, for anybody listening, if you haven't ever done a dawn patrol ride, as daunting as it might seem to get up before the sun rises. I highly recommend it. There's something about being out there in the woods and the trails that is super peaceful at night. And for us here in Mill Valley and around Mount Tam, it's quite magical because I'm on the, I guess it'd be sort of the Western slope of Mount Tam. So I cannot see the sunrise until I get to the very top and around the corner, this very unique corner of the top of East Peak and the sun if I time it right, the sun is magically rising over the East Bay, and it's just super special. Such a beautiful spot, and that experience of getting up in the morning and being very single-minded about getting out the door on your bike, and there's no time to, you know, for email or other distractions to break up that that headspace from when you were asleep to when you're out having some experience. That's it's really wonderful. I'm very much because of the time of day and the time of morning. I've got to lay everything out, my socks, my bibs, my knee warmers, my vest, my arm warmers. I got to make sure my bag is on the bike and anything else I need this time of year. And I know my East Coast and Canadian friends are going to chastise me for this. It is in the 40s, which I think is reasonably cold, but I've been thinking a lot about gear lately. Mm -hmm. So I, as you know, grew up in Boston and started training seriously uh, out that way when I was in grad school. And 40 degree days were where were the days where you would just like push everything off your schedule and do your century ride. It's like 40 degrees. You kidding me? This is amazing. Even 20 degree days are, were days where if it was sunny enough, you would put on your lobster claw gloves and your heavy ski balaclava and multiple layers and jacket. And you would you know, maybe do a, a shorter ride and stop at a couple Dunkin Donuts along the way to stick your as I used to do, stick my hands under the hand dryer in the bathroom to warm up every you know hour and a half so I didn't lose a finger. I've been very careful not to complain because I realize that the, <laughs> the, the hate mentions can come in very quickly for living in California. But I also mm. recognize that you know it's just important to have the right gear and the right approach. And yeah. so the reason I'm not complaining is that I, I've geared up appropriately. And a couple of things I wanted to highlight, because I don't, I think as newer athletes, I'm often surprised at some of the lack of equipment I see people having some stuff that as a Bay Area cyclist, I think are fundamentally required in the wardrobe. Yeah. And, you know, specifically, I would call out a vest and arm warmers because mm -hmm. they're so versatile. I think one of the things I've noted about being in this area versus other places I've lived is. There's, there's quite a lot of inconsistency in the weather you're going to experience, whether you're in San Francisco, close to the bay, further north, you definitely can expect to enter different weather patterns on each ride. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I would add to that a cap 
and a base layer, which I actually don't waste money on. Well, I don't spend money on base layers. I just use old jerseys as base layers. That works really well. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I mean, layering is key. And I think as mm. you get around the sport, you know, you end up acquiring jerseys. So yeah, I'm with you. Like I do have a couple of proper base layers, which I do like because they're, they're designed quite well for wicking, but wearing two jerseys does the trick as well. Yeah. And then a leg warmer of some sort, same deal. You can start with them. And then as the day warms up, take them off. I went with knickers, not knickers. I went with just knee warmers with my latest acquisition. And I actually don't like them nearly as much. I find them neither here nor there. Because with leg warmers, you could always roll them up partially if you wanted to expose a little bit of shin. So, Yeah, I think if you've got a knicker, which is a basically a short that goes down to your calf, so it's a connected piece of fabric, you're committed. So if you get it right, it's great. Because you know anytime anything's just completely sewn together, it, it can feel really nice. But it's I've always found it's hard to totally get it right. So I'm with you. Knee warmers and arm warmers just feel like they give me a lot of versatility in regulating my temperature throughout the day i've also ended up with some with a strange tan line on my upper calf <laughs> as a consequence of those forgetting to 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 re uh, reapply sunscreen as a cyclist you have to pick your poison right where's that awkward tan line going to happen because it's going to happen somewhere now you are starting in the dark right for these rides yeah yeah, I am. So I've got I've got a bar mounted light lighting system, and one of the things I do like about the pre dawn ride is that I know I'm riding into the sunrise, and the sunrise mm -hmm. does two things: it it adds light, obviously, and warmth. Mm -hmm. So it allows me to make a little bit maybe more aggressive decisions about the amount of lighting I have, or you know whether I have a head head mounted light or a bar mount. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter for that particular ride. I'm basically climbing for an hour and 20 minutes to get to the top. So I don't really have to worry about any high speed moments in that ride. So really a modicum mm. of lighting works fine in that scenario. It's, it's rather ideal in all regards because you're accumulating heat. You're not traveling at high speeds. So you don't have a lot of wind to sap that heat away and you don't, you're not going so fast that it's, you would need very much lighting at all in order to light the path. I know when I do my, my late night rides, which I used to do when I lived in the city, it's, you know, big headlamp, big handlebar mounts, big battery on the down tube. And you need all of those lumens in order to carry the speed that I like to carry. Yeah. That's the thing on the gravel bike. It's pretty easy to exceed the, the lumens. You know, if you've got a 300 lumen light or something like that, you can very easily outride that, mm. you know, very, very quickly. And that's going to cause problems, particularly if you're off-road. Yeah, I really want something 1,200 1, watts or so on the handlebar. And on the headlamp, I usually will go smaller. 300 to 500 is, is adequate. A little bit more is, is nice to have. But even that supplemental three to 500 is better than nothing. Yeah, and that's one of the things I'm going to be looking for in the near future. I think I have a couple old head headlamps, but I, I do want to get one as I think this spring I'll be doing a little bit more night riding. Very cool. Very cool. Any big plans coming up before we sign off for this episode? You know, I'm, I've got a, I've just late breaking news got, there's a local bike shop that's doing a kind of virtual challenge up Mount Tam, but kind of a little bit different route than I would normally take. So it's going up a trail called Deer Park out of Mere mm. Woods. 
and then over to Pantol and all the way up to East Peak. And it's kind of two sections. They're doing a sort of time trial via Strava kind of format. I do not not expect to be at the front end of those timing chip segments by any means, but I developed a really rad route to extend it over Laurel Dell and go over to Alpine Dam, back down to Phoenix Lake and up. So I'm actually excited about the route that I designed. Great. That's great. Yeah. How about you? I'll be doing my usual Saturday ride with my friend Isaac tomorrow. And then and next week I head out on a road trip. So I'll be out of the Bay for three and a half or so weeks going to Death Valley, uh, meeting my colleague, Sam, thesis colleague, Sam in the, in the desert there. Then a couple of weeks in Southern Utah, renting a house and then the Arizona desert outside of Sedona and then back through Joshua tree in my converted Prius, which I will have just, you know, it, it sleeps to the bed, the, uh, the bike goes on top of the bed, but I just got a, my brother-in-law bought me a fire pit, a portable fire pit that's underneath the bed. So I'll have a portable fire pit, you know, a pop-up shower stall. I might even bring my telescope all in, in the back of this Prius and it actually works out really well. It's, it's quite a good setup in 50 MPG. You can't really complain about this is going to be awesome. I can't wait yeah. to see some of the pictures of your riding, but also some of the pictures of your setup, which you've yeah, promised I, to share. I've been promising to share for some time. So that will happen now that I have all the different components and I will be someplace beautiful to do the setup justice. I think the perfectionist in you has sort of resisted sharing <laughs> any images about your Prius setup. <laughs> yeah, those tendencies are strong. I mean, it kept me from doing that episode for how many months now? Many, many Working months. on it, my friend. I'm working on it. I will say I did want to mention, you know, that route that I, I drew up this morning, I've hosted in the Ridership Ride with GPS club account. Mm-hmm. And it's something we haven't talked about much, but we do have a club on Ride with GPS, as you know. And mm-hmm. I've been building more and more routes via the community and posting them up there. So for the listener, make sure to jump into the Ridership Forum to get a link to our ridership ride with GPS club. Yes. And you actually, everybody who is a ridership member, which ridership membership is free, gets a free ride with GPS account, correct? Yeah. And it's an upgraded ride with GPS account. So I think there's additional features that you can get within the phone app once you're Mm -hmm. a member. So that's, that's really cool. I mean, it's a really cool benefit of joining the ridership. Yeah. So All right, my friend. Well, always a pleasure chatting with you. We'll talk again soon. So that's it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcasts in the Dirt. Thanks for joining us and spending a little bit of time with us this week. If you're looking to connect with us between episodes, feel free to join us in the Ridership Forum. Simply visit www.theridership.com for your invite. If you're not already a podcast subscriber, please hit the subscribe button now. It's super important to our feedback loop to know that you're out there listening. We'll be back in your feed next week with another long form interview. And until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.